0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, President of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David.
1: I want to welcome you to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And we're going to be taking on something today that, to be honest, is quite serious. And to me, it has been rather disturbing and unsettling the last several days for me as the legislature has lurched forward on a couple of things that that just to be honest, I do not understand. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. And, and keep in mind, for those of you who don't know anything about my history, I served in the state Senate for 12 years. Now, I'm not saying that to brag or Uh, or or to puff myself up but but to say that I understand this process I know how the process works I know what it's like to be a legislator and and because of that some of the things that have been going on just to be honest flummox and dumbfound me and there has to be something taking place spiritually that to be honest I can't get my finger on but it is very very disturbing and I, to be honest, today I'm, I'm going to do a little thinking out loud with the hope that God might use what I say as I talk to and think through what I've been confronted with this week uh, to help you learn how to think through things. You may come to different conclusions than those that, that I will come to. but. Um, since we can't interact with one another like over a coffee or over lunch, I'm just going to share my thoughts and hope that they will cause you to ponder and think more deeply about what it means to be a God-centered Christian, and in particular to be the Genesis 1 and 2 versus Genesis 3 type Christian that we've spoken of in the past on our episode February 19th with Dr. Sandlin. Uh, maybe the conversation today will uh, spur you to say I, I need to be at Restoring the Vision on May 15th and you'll go to our website, click on the events tab and, and register. But but let me tell you what's happened and then, then I want to talk about my reaction to it, my evaluation of it, with the hope, as I said, uh, that it will be helpful to you to hear me thinking through what I've observed. Now, the first thing is the legislature last week, one of the uh, subcommittees, the House, uh, I think it was Insurance Committee, passed a bill mandating that private insurance companies provide, I believe it's up to $100,000 worth of infertility treatments. Now the way the bill is worded it's very clear it does not apply to a married man and woman. So for one now, the, the state has taken the position that we are here to help you procreate. We're not trying to prevent an injustice. We're not trying to provide order in society. We're now asserting jurisdiction over the womb to say that we will help you bring forward the life that God of his own volition has not chosen to bring forth. Now that in itself should just be very disturbing. And the fact that we have so many Republicans who profess to be Christians voting to assert such jurisdiction over matters of life and procreation should be disturbing. It's disturbing to me. I don't get it quite frankly. But it doesn't, as I said, it, it doesn't even require that they be married. So, so imagine the evil there of saying we're going to bring a child or try to help bring a child into the world whose parents have not made a formal, legal, binding statement of their commitment to one another. Now, I get that people will say, well, a piece of paper doesn't make me married, but it expresses an intention of the heart to say, I will expect the civil magistrate to hold me to my promises, to hold me to the commitments I make. And, and so that, that is an evil towards that child that our Christian Republican legislators are perpetuating. But based on the way the bill is worded, in that it speaks of an enrollee and an individual insured under the enrollee's plan, which is clearly not male and female language, given that there's no reference to male or female in the whole bill or to uh, human sexuality, given that infertility is described alternatively as either one having a disease by which it affects Uh, essentially ovulation and sperm count and those kinds of things but it also says having unprotected sex for a period of time without the result of being pregnant well you know if if we lived in the pre bill clinton world where he said well i didn't have sex with that woman and we didn't live in a post-obergefell world where sexual intercourse is is not defined in terms of vaginal intercourse I can't even believe I'm having to talk about all these things that, to be honest, would have never been even talked about when I was a child and not, not in a public setting. Well, you have clearly now going to foster uh, or, or give the great legal argument that the law needs to be interpreted to apply to same-sex couples who, again, may not be married. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And our Christian legislators thought that was a good idea. Now, now. They may protest and say, well, David, I didn't know that was in the bill. But, you know, I emailed every one of those le- legislators a week before the vote and began to tell them these things in the bill. And they still voted for it. Now, they may say, well, I didn't get the email. I didn't see it. Uh, I, you know, there's so much going on. I'm, I'm so busy. There are so many bills. And this is where I've got to tell you, my friends, I've been down there. I was one of 33 members of the Senate as opposed to 99 members of the House, which meant that there were a third fewer senators to review the same number of bills that the House had to review. Uh, Arguably, I had three times as much work, but you know what I did? In the evenings after I'd had dinner, I would go back to the motel room and I would read bills. I would answer emails. I I would do the work that I had signed up to do. I knew that there were certain people that I needed to listen to uh, because I thought they had the right worldview, the right perspective. And so I, I, I knew to check their emails. I, my, my assistant knew to make sure I saw those emails. I, I knew who to call if something was on a topic that I didn't understand or or that uh, wasn't clear to me. So, so I, like I say, I, I don't know if these legislators who profess to be Christians are lazy, uh, they're incompetent, they, they don't have a God-centered view of, of, of the purpose of civil government to provide order and to require justice or injustice, or, or maybe they've got the wrong view of what injustice is. Maybe they've bought into some kind of liberal notion of social justice and so somehow the fact that that two people can't get pregnant is an injustice. But the question becomes who committed the injustice? Did you or I commit the injustice that caused a couple to be infertile? No. Did the government do something to cause them to be infertile? Well nobody's made that claim. It's not like they poisoned the water with infertility treatments and now we're trying to make up for it. There's There's been no injustice here unless we're gonna accuse God of an injustice. So are these legislators saying, well, we have a different view of justice than God does. And there's an injustice here somewhere, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but, but given that God opens wombs, God's the creator and author of life, he's the only one in whom there is being and who can transmit being to, to things that don't exist, uh, well, God has been unjust. Do you, do you see the problems with the thinking that's going on there? Like I said, I, I don't know well, how do you even think about this? And, and you know, someday I'm not going to be down at the legislator or even send that email in the first place. Not that not that very many of them paid attention to it anyway. And I'm not the only person that's been speaking to these legislators about this bill, telling them it's not good. So it's 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 not as if, well, they just don't like you, or they don't listen to you, or they don't trust you. There, there, there are others down there that have been speaking to them on this bill, and yet they move forward. Now, Here's where I want to get really, really serious. You may think that was serious, but hold on. I read something this week that really hit me in a way that I had never quite gotten it before. So this week, I opened my Bible to Psalm 36. I didn't pick it because of something in there. It truly was one of those, Lord, I, I just, I, I needed I need a perspective here. And and believing that, that God indeed directs all things, that not one molecule can go out of place without his permission. Because otherwise he's not the omnipotent sovereign God. It opens to Psalm thirty six. And it says this the transgression of the wicked let me let me change it to the New King James Version so it's a little less stilted here. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And here it is. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Now we're talking here about a reverence for God, a God-centeredness. The wicked is a person whose reverence for God is not first and foremost at the center of all things. I never really thought about that. But that's... That's why the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. There's your focus, there's your center for everything else that follows. The rest of the Bible is an explanation of the implications of, in the beginning, God. And, and it goes on down and, and says this in, in verse four. So now we're describing the wicked. He devises wickedness on his bed. So in other words, he's he thinks about wickedness. It, when his mind's not otherwise occupied with the things of the day, He's devising wickedness on his bed. Where does our mind go? Are we heavenly minded or earthly minded? And keep in mind, being earthly minded is minding the things of the earth and the futile wicked ways of the earth, not the things of God. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. And that last part, my friends, got me. He does not abhor evil. Other translations use the word, and and it's an appropriate translation, he doesn't despise evil. And it made me think of a statement by C.K. Chesterton. And here's his statement. Unless a man becomes the enemy of an evil, he will not even become its slave, but rather its champion. You see, when we lose our center and focus in God and we don't hate the things that God hates. Now, I'm not talking about hating people. I'm talking about hating the things that say, we are God. We decide what you need. We are government and we are here to help you find fulfillment and pleasure and satisfaction in whatever it is that you need. Because God is not righteous, and God is not good, and God is not fair. And, and injustices have been done to you by, well, something. And, and you know, maybe it's the institutions, which is what we want to do today. Blame it on the institutions. But when it comes to, to being pregnant or not, that's not an institutional wrong, right? That has to be a God injustice. And so, you wind up becoming its champion. Now that would disturb me if I was a legislator and I had just voted for this bill. It would disturb me that either one, I had not read it carefully, two, I had not listened to counsel, three, I was too busy doing something else that I didn't do the job I signed up to do and people elected me to do, or maybe it's that I've lost so much of my God-centeredness that I can't see the truth anymore. And when we lose our God-centeredness, we have to wonder, is this a period of chastening and disciplining, or were we ever really God-centered? My friends, I I don't know how that question should be answered, And, and ultimately, you know, you and I don't have to answer that question. The legislators who voted for the bill have to answer that question. But here's the point I want to make today, and I'll stop here, and I'm gonna pick up with some other possibilities next week of what could be going on here that uh, I think we need to take very seriously. But, But ultimately, the legislator has to say, what is it that would cause me to think that it is okay to encourage and foster bringing children into the world in a context contrary to what God said was good for children. A man and a woman who have been joined together in a marital relationship with commitments to themselves and should they have children to their progeny. What does that say about my God-centeredness? What does that say about whether I abhor and reject evil? You know. There's nothing that required the legislature to pass this bill at all, nothing. And yet they, at least the members of this committee have chosen to do so. And I think we need to be praying because something serious spiritually is going on or something spiritually is going on in the churches that are equipping or failing to equip these individuals to think that I should not foster something that's contrary to what God has defined as good. And maybe the thought is, well, I'm a Genesis 3 Christian. My soul is saved. I got my fire insurance and I don't have to worry about any of these creational things. Boy, that's a scary thought, isn't it? That's a scary thought. I'm going to, I hate to leave you with such a scary thought and I hope you'll join me next week, but I'm going to look at at, a, at, a, at this from a little bit different perspective next week in, in the context of a different bill um, where I think legislators thought they were trying to do good dealing with uh, the question of homosexuality and gender fluidity and gender identity. And in it too points out, I think, just a, a lack of understanding of where we are in the world and, and, and what that means to be Christian when we live in essence Babylon or we live in Corinth where Paul went to preach. So we'll be talking about that next week, and I hope you'll join me for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.factennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.